Are we rolling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll sound. I'll sound. Beep. All right, guys. All right, one take. All right, mark it. All right, action. Like film, that's what they all say. Great movies, it's the American way. I wish they had a show where they reviewed movies, which they do. It's called the Film and You Win Show. I like movies, big, big movies, big movies. It's floating pictures, it's so great. Movies. So join us, everybody, for the Film and You Win Show. Well, hello, everyone. How's it going? It's the Film and You Win Show. Uh, I'm Max, and I'm here with Juliet. Yes, you are. How's it going? <laughs> it's going well. I thought it'd be kind of fun before we get into our feature film that we're going to focus on tonight. What do you think of the Oscars as a whole? Um, I thought it was okay. Um, I didn't really miss a host too much. They did their own like opening monologue with Maya Rudolph, Tina Fey, and Amy Poehler. Well, and Queen. Queen opened oh, and, it as yeah, well. Yeah, Queen opened the show. And Adam Lambert. Yes. I thought it was a pretty fun performance. Yeah. Uh, Queen opened up, and then uh, we had no host. Yeah. There was no comedy. It and was, they had, there was some comedy. And then, uh, boom, the awards went on. Mm-hmm. Melissa McCarthy was funny. She showed up in a rabbit dress. Yes. She was the queen. Uh, we got to see Mike Myers and Dana Carvey mm-hmm. to introduce Bohemian Rhapsody. So it was yep. kind of cool. A little Wayne's World Yeah, we got reunion. to see uh, Gaga and Bradley Cooper. Um, have sex on have the stage. Lots of eye sex. On a lot of piano. nuzzling. Kind of like Lion King sex. Um, also, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but Lady Gaga is pregnant from that performance. <laughs> As am I. Yeah, the baby's a uh, little baby shallow. <laughs> Yeah, I took last place in our Oscar pool. You did. Uh, but not by much. Like, I lost by two points to the yeah. leaders. So it was a tight race. Yeah. Um, I mean, I only did well because I knew that the Academy would pick Green Book. I knew that that wasn't the best movie, but I knew it would get picked. Yeah, it was uh, the consensus. Green Book was only nominated for five awards, but mm-hmm. took home uh, three out of the five. Yeah. Including Best Picture, Best Sporting Actor, mm-hmm. and uh, Best Adapted Screenplay. Or mm-hmm. Original. Adapted. Original Original screenplay. If only I had a ballot right in front of me. It is a best original screenplay. How original. Yeah. And also, the favorite was nominated for eight and just, or ten. It was nominated nominated for for ten and it won one. Yeah. Best actress, which was a huge (laughs) shocker. Everyone thought Glenn Close was on her way to, seems like she's Mm going to be the lock. Boom. The biggest underdog story ever. Olivia Coleman wins, and even she was shocked. I know. A lot of people out there arguing. She was awesome in it. I could understand the argument that maybe it wasn't a full-on leading actress role. Yeah. But she was the best one out of the three, in my opinion, and I thought she was great. I did a couple um, polls on our Twitter page. Okay. So... We got the polls out. The polls were out. Um, What was the best moment of the night? Uh, The options were Spike Lee's win, the shallow performance, uh, Melissa McCarthy's rabbit dress, or Olivia Coleman's speech, and... With a 36%, Olivia Coleman's speech won. For the best moment? Best moment. Was there any write in moments? Um, We did not have any write in moments. I encouraged write in moments, but Mm. didn't get any. Um, And then our other. Maybe they just thought those were the best moments. I guess. Nothing Um, else to write in. Nothing else. And then the other poll that we did was biggest snub or upset of the Oscars. The options were Mr. Rogers not being nominated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the best picture win, so Green Book winning the best picture, Glenn Close losing, or Rami Malek's speech. So out of the biggest snub upset of the Oscars, 
40% of our voters picked Mr. Rogers not being nominated. Okay, so we knew that was um, a big snub going mm-hmm. into it. Um, Couldn't they just like throw in a six nominee? Well, it just felt like Mr. Rogers was the documentary most talked about this year, and the subject was beautiful, and the message behind it was beautiful. You'd think it would at least get nominated. It doesn't Mm -hmm. even need to win. Well, I'm I'm curious, though, because that was an obvious one. Those nominees came out a month ago. What was the 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 runner up oh, for Shocker? Oh, Glenn Close's loss, which is interesting because exactly, the best moment yeah. was Olivia Coleman's speech, but the the biggest upset was Glenn Close's loss. So I think it goes to show that you know just because people expected and wanted Glenn Close to win, it doesn't mean that they dislike Olivia Coleman anymore. Like she's exactly. still deserving and lovely and charismatic and likable. People just think that Glenn Close should have won. Yeah, and it felt like uh, you know people. Loved her speech, thought Glenn Close possibly deserved it if it's for an award for her overall career as well. But then we kind of get into the Green Book winning Best Picture part, and that's when there's been kind of a mixed reception towards that, mm-hmm. which I, I get. It's interesting because Green Book was one of those like, oh, they're going to pick this, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I thought Roma was the overall Best Picture of yeah. this year as far as all the elements put together. Mm-hmm. I would have been okay with it not winning. I don't really know. This was such a weird year, and we talked about this earlier, of what really was the clear front runner. I thought Star is Born was actually kind of amazed me, but I didn't think that was really the best picture this year. Mm-hmm. I thought Green Book was great, but I did not think it was best picture. I did not walk away seeing that movie and right. went, there was the best picture this year. Right. But I did walk away saying... The Academy is going to pick that as best picture. Yeah, a lot of people, including Spike Lee, very upset about Green Book winning. And um, hopefully, you know, the dust will settle and we'll just kind of move on. On to the next season. You uh, forgive and move on, but you never forget, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, overall, though, I thought it was a pretty entertaining show. It was still like a little over three hours. It's interesting without a host. Of the movement of it, it just kind of felt like here's an award, here's an award, here's an award. And it, I guess that's what the show should be for the most part. Yeah. Um, you had your musical performances in between and it just kind of felt like it was a cut and dry. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'll say that I kind of miss is that the Oscars are kind of the more elegant of the awards. Like Golden Globes are always fun. They're always funny, hosted usually by a comedian or, you know, a, a comic actor from television or something like that. Right. Um, the Emmys, kind of the same thing. It usually ends up being one of the late night hosts ends up hosting those most part. Um, and then the Oscars are always supposed to be a little bit more like elegant, nice, classy, have a couple musical numbers and things like that. It just didn't feel like, like it didn't have the montages that I'm used to seeing at the old, like the, the early 2000s Oscars that I would watch and love as a kid. Yeah, I agree with you as a whole. It felt like we usually kind of get this kind of. Make you feel good. Oh, movies, the history yeah. behind movies. Yeah. I didn't feel that We Hollywood had one at spark. the beginning, and then it just kind of, it felt like just kind of hurry up, get the awards out, hurry mm-hmm. up, get the awards out, hurry up, get the awards out. Yeah. I, I mean, I Show's wonder if over. so much was, was involved in the, like, trying to figure out what they were going to do for hosts versus this versus that, that they never kind of tackled the meat of the show. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just think it's pretty simple. Make the show a little bit longer. I know some people say it doesn't need to be longer, but I mean, it happens once a year. We would have watched it. I would have watched <laughs> it. It's not like when it was over, I was dying like, oh, 
that that needed to be a half an hour shorter. I'm just like, I would watch another half an hour of it if yeah. it's if it's entertaining and it's fun and mm-hmm. it's worth it. Because sometimes what what we were missing is when you have like an Ellen DeGeneres like you know ordering pizza segment for the whole audience and taking a selfie with them, or when Jimmy Kimmel took everyone to a surprise screening. Right. It's it's fluff. It doesn't mean anything, but it kind of breaks up the awards because then you're kind of still in anticipation of. Like, what's going on? It's those, I got like, my Oscar pool. Who's yeah, going to win this? It's those viral fun moments that exist that make it fun and bring yeah. a little bit of, like, realness to these celebrities that we see all the time. As a whole, though, I mean, I I actually enjoyed it this year. I don't know. Do you think they're going to have a host next year? Or did this show, like, the show's fine without that ringleader, that host? I think if they plan ahead, they'll put another host in. I think that they... It does enhance it a little bit. You do need that main voice through the whole time, making comments, putting those viral moments together. Because I don't think anything really super memorable really happened. Other than, you know, Spike Lee winning and jumping into Samuel L. Jackson's arms. Nothing really that candid I think those moments happened. are always going to be memorable. And they're, and, and they're always going to be memorable and they're always going to be there. But like the having the host to kind of come and give an extra punch, an extra quip at the end of something that happened is pretty damn good. And I think that there's a value in that. It's also kind of nice sometimes to have them close out the show themselves because that kind of awkward Julia Roberts closing it out at the end was like, did you guys forget to tell her she was closing this one? Okay. She said goodnight to everybody at the end and seemed super awkward about it and was like, oh, I'm Bradley Cooper's mom. Good night. More than anything, like I said, I think they're missing those movie montages that like celebrate the glory of cinema yeah the ending and and the ending needed a little bit work but i agree with you 100 percent. i think we were missing kind of the montages and i i would argue that if those exist in that show you'd just be fine yeah i think i wouldn't have noticed the missing host if those moments kind of brought it all together really quick just off the top of your head who do you want to see host next year who would be your perfect host just really quick just throw a name out there steve carell I like it. I like it. I, I want Macaulay Culkin. So. <laughs> Macaulay Culkin tweeting during this was yeah. <laughs> actually more interesting than the Oscars. That's what I'm bringing up. He, he, the, the, the tweet I saw was, hey, they forgot about me in the in memorium. <laughs> oh, well, I guess next year. He's a gem. He's, he's a gem. He's and a gem. That we forgot about for a long time. I like that. Steve Carell, <laughs> it'll never happen. No. Um, I just think like too many actors are like, I don't want to do that. Right. It's got to be. It's a lot. It'll probably be Jimmy Fallon or it'll, it'll probably be something like that. It's just, or um, what's his name? James Corden. I could see that. It's it's always like going to be a talk show host or someone that's like used to kind of Yeah, I mean, it's stronger things. when it's a talk show host. Jay Leno would be great. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> All right. So uh, transitioning overall, uh, Oscars. How many uh, Oscars out of five Oscars would you give <laughs> this, Oscars? this show? This Oscars. Oof. Uh, I'm gonna give it a three. It wasn't the best, wasn't but it the wasn't best. the worst. Okay, gotcha. I'm gonna give it a solid uh, four Oscars, and I'm feeling a little generous. I'll I'll throw in like two red envelopes. Whoa! All right, we watched all the best pictures and kind of got to all the other categories. We did our best this year. There's still we felt like we had some loose ends, and there was one <laughs> movie that's just in our face. It's on Netflix. Uh, of course, we watched. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yes. Of course, it's a it's a Coen Brothers movie, their first one that they've done for Netflix. Uh, it's not a full feature film. It is comprised of six different segments that tell different stories. Like vignettes. Vignettes. 
That's like a appetizer. Like a, uh, I'll take out a vignette. Um, yeah, but it's six. It's got um, a plethora of different actors. Some they've yeah. worked with pl- plenty of times. Some new faces. It was nominated for original song. Uh, when a cowboy trades his spurs for wings. Mm-hmm. Uh, best achievement in costume design and best adapted screenplay. Yes, it won none of those. I know, but I think I'm okay with it. But after watching this, I almost feel like it deserved more nominations. Yeah. Uh, I thought the cinematography, cinematography is really beautiful, but maybe it gets a little tough to grade the cinematography as a whole because you're dealing with six different uh, segments. Uh, sorry, right. vignettes. Right. But it's the same cinematographer the whole time. That's true. That is true. That's but yeah, I will point. say that like some of them were a little more sweeping you know it's nominated for best screenplay and overall it's a screenplay comprised of six different right shorts yeah i say i say that's a little complicated um i think maybe it's because it's so complicated yes and there were so many other good ones this is another another case of if this was made last year or who knows next year maybe it would have more chance but there were a solid amount of decent movies this year that i think the competition was a little steeper, so not every not everyone's a winner. Yeah, it's interesting too because it's another Netflix film as well. Uh, the Coen Brothers, like we said, uh, it's their first uh, Netflix film. I still think the Academy has something against uh, the streaming service, especially Netflix, yeah. of their awards because movies are going to lose money. Roma was pretty successful, but, uh, you know, then it's Netflix. You got the Coen brothers attached, which the Academy loves, but then it's like, oh, you're doing the Netflix thing. Mm -hmm. Anyways, uh, back to the movie. Uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. It is uh, six segments, and it all tells different stories in the Old West. Yes. So it's essentially the Coen brothers do Western. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, first since True Grit? Yeah, I mean, the Coen brothers did True Grit. Uh, they have other movies that have like kind of Western tones. But always it's fun because the Coen brothers always just have fun with the genres that they're playing. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're two kids that grew up just being fans of movies. And they're like, we wanted to make a movie like this. We want to make it, we'll put at the beginning of Fargo, we'll say this is based on a true story. Oh, is this a true story? No, no. but <laughs> but I always just wanted to have that at the beginning of a movie. It could have been true. <laughs> I think this movie, the Coen brothers hold nothing back, just like they always do. They're making their story and telling it the way they want to tell it. And you better be ready to enjoy the ride. <laughs> so, of course, as always, when we do the film focus, uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs is available on Netflix. Uh, but if you haven't seen it yet, we're going to spoil like everything. All of them. All vignettes. We're going to spoil everything down to the last uh, Cowboy Spur. Ooh. So you have been warned. This is spoiler time. So we'll give you two seconds to hop on your horse and ride on to greener pastures. Click that red N and watch it on Netflix. Boom. <laughs> so Juliet, are you ready to do a film focus over the Ballad of Buster Scruggs? I'm. I. It's going to be complicated, but I'm. I'm ready for it. All right, let's do it. Let's do the film focus. Hey, hey, Hocus Pocus, it's the film focus. So uh, the first one, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, it opens up with Buster Scruggs. Mm -hmm. Tim Blake Nelson is singing a melody about wanting to find water. He's been traveling on his horse, and he is Buster Scruggs. He is a wanted man. What do we know about Buster Scruggs? You know, he can carry a nice tune. Um, He's probably a little misunderstood, but he's... 
He's an amazing shot. He's all, and he's also wanted dead or alive. Dead or alive. Uh, they called him a misanthrope, but he doesn't agree with that. He's not that kind of guy. <laughs> and he's just looking for the next town to pass to maybe play a game of poker, mm-hmm. get some whiskey. His horse is named Dan, his, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I believe his horse's name is Dan. And he heads into a place and <laughs> he looks very fancy compared to the rest of the kind of rough bunch of guys playing poker in this room yeah well they're all like dirty and like brown and black clothes and he's got his nice crisp clean white suit clean and white and in in traditional um traditional westerns the guy in white is always the good guy the man in black is the bad guy definitely in westerns just someone like dressed in like a white outfit Mm -hmm. means that they're good they're the they're the protagonist it's the person you want to root for but uh you know, he's wanted dead or alive, and, you know, we kind of find he's a little violent because he asked for some whiskey, mm-hmm. and he goes, no, we're a dry county, but then he's like, what are they all drinking? He's like, whiskey, <laughs> and then basically just shoots him in his head, Yeah, and then kills everyone else, Yes, and then he's just kind of carrying on with this very polite talking, yeah. breaking the fourth wall, talking to mm-hmm. us about, I don't know what it is, like, oh, that's unfortunate, you know? Right. And he heads to the next town to play some poker. I don't think anyone else could have played this but Tim Blake Nelson, because it's just, it's that personality that he has. Yeah, I don't have the number, but he's been in a lot of Coen Brothers movies at this point, and it's just, he's very aware of the character he's doing, and I think, yeah, it's different if it's not him. Yeah. The way he does it is just beautiful. But he goes into this town as well. Yep. Jumps right into a game of poker. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you got to, he, he declines to play the hand of the guy that left, but they're like, you got to play him. Right. And doesn't like it and ends up finding a loose board in the table and the guy pulls a gun on him when no one's supposed to have guns at this point. But then he does what anyone would do without a pistol. He finds a loose board and he kicks it and then it hits the guy in the head and then he shoots him in the yeah. self I, in the face. He does it I a few more times. I can't even tell you how many times I've done that to someone. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very good tricky move. <laughs> so the guy whose brother he killed. Mm-hmm. Wants to avenge him. So then here we Surly go. Surly Joe, I believe. Surly Joe, acting very surly about yes. it. <laughs> and they have, uh, what are those things called again? Like a, a quick draw. Yeah. And <laughs> do you want to count? And he just blows off each one of his fingers right. for his count to right. five. And then does a very Coen Brothers like talk to the camera and to himself about like the numbers. Oh, I just shot five and now I've got one more left, but he pulls the mirror out yeah. and looks backwards while the guy's trying to pull his gun out across his body, but he's mm-hmm. missing fingers talking about like, well, I only got one bullet left. So right. I'm on this side, that side. Well, I'll just play it safe. And then yeah. he just kills him. <laughs> just shoots him in the head. <laughs> he's about to sing a song. Then boom, another guy comes into town played by uh, Willie Watson. Mm-hmm. And he just says, I believe uh, I want to challenge you. Then boom, just jump cut. We're right. ready for another challenge. Do you he, need... Yeah, he was like, do you need a countdown? Nope. And then, and then Buster's like, no, sir. And then boom, just shoots him in the head. Mm-hmm. Takes his hat off and then flips it on the reverse side. See, there's blood and yeah. looks in the mirror again, realizes. That's it. That's it. Yeah, and he says, can't be top dog forever. Yep. And we see his body like uh, like it's like who framed Roger Rabbit or something when the weasels <laughs> all die uh, float out of his body while he's playing with a harp. Yep. The kid just rides out of town. His body's like... But they're both singing this song. Yeah, which was the Academy Award nominated song. It's a catchy song. Yeah, it was a a great song. Again, if if Shallow wasn't in it, it might have a chance. I actually was hoping they would sing Shallow at this point. (laughs) I just shot you. You are dead now. I think I'll leave this town. 
Was that good? That was great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I, they call me Maxi Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they of course they sang the song that we said got nominated. Uh, when a cowboy trades his spurs for wings. Mm-hmm. And then he just kind of admits, well, it's time for me to pass on. Mm-hmm. Can't be top dog forever. Maybe we can sing a song together on the other side. Right. Well, he also says, like, I hope the people where I'm going are a lot nicer than the ones I met down here. Yeah, because what's interesting about Buster Scruggs is he is part of the problem. Mm-hmm. He he killed about, like, seven, I'd say. Right. Like seven to eight people we saw in the short moment that we had with him. Mm-hmm. But he also talked about his displeasure of, why does it have to be this way? I just want to play a game of cards. Mm-hmm. I just want to have a drink and sing some songs. And um, I thought that was really fascinating about him. He's definitely the villain. He even makes a comment because the kid is dressed up all in black. Mm -hmm. But it's funny because you're thinking we need to root for Buster Scruggs still because he's dressed in white. But the flip side of it, he could just be the villain. And finally, this is the hero taking him out. Yeah. Because he's just, for all we know, been going town to town just causing trouble and singing songs. Right. Asking for whiskey. Asking for whiskey. No. I mean, overall, I think that's a great point. It, it, the kid could have been the hero coming to save them all. You don't know. Um, it's just that he's likable and presented in this friendly, fun-loving way, which is, again, kind of a Coen Brothers thing. You know, we have a lot of anti-heroes. You go back to a lot of their comedies. The person that you're rooting for is endearing, but sometimes a bad guy. So... It's kind of fun. Were you a little shocked that, given the title of this movie, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, that we see Buster Scruggs die? I was. I I mean, I didn't know that much about the movie. I didn't even see a trailer. I just knew Coen Brothers Western. I was surprised when we got to the next story and he wasn't there. And then we got to the next story and he wasn't. I was like, is he going to come back? Like, how is this his ballad, this whole movie, his ballad, if he's not in it? Yeah, and I think in a Coen Brothers fashion that I was a little shocked. Oh, he's dead. Mm -hmm. Now, I knew that we had just independent shorts. I knew that much Mm -hmm. about it. But I always kind of thought maybe it would come back like he'd bookend this. Right. Or I thought that maybe he was the narrator through all of it. He's like, now let's take a trip to come see this cowboy. It was really set up that way, but that's what I always just absolutely adore about the Coen Brothers. They're going to do it their way. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, the story's over. Right. So I can see viewers at home watching this going, well, I thought this was about Buster Scruggs. Well, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like as if the Coen brothers, are you guys aware that you killed him? Oh, we didn't even think about that. No, like they know what they're doing. So at that point, just going, okay, bring on the next one. Yeah. Next up is Near Algodones, um, and it is starring James Franco as Cowboy. Cowboy, a.k.a. Bank Robber. Yeah. But I think okay. they really just called him Cowboy. Well, that's what all he's credited. James Franco <laughs> is the Cowboy. The Cowboy. And he is clearly a, a, a lone wolf bank robber. He sees this little tiny bank in the middle of New Mexico and is like, all right. One thing I'll point out is this is what I also love about the Coen brothers. The sound design's on point. Mm-hmm. We hear the wind outside. There's we hear a, the rope. A, the rope that's kind of uh, swinging back and forth. A uh, little bit of foreshadowing. Well. Maybe a little foreshadowing. Yeah, foreshadow. definitely. Yes, for sure. And uh, yeah, it's sometimes you don't need to have dialogue for a story to be told. And you can tell a story through the sound. And it's mm-hmm. just through the wind, you, you get this empty feeling like he's searched this place out because it's no one's around for mm-hmm. a while. And then he goes when he goes in, even the sounds, it sounds very hollow as like his mm-hmm. boots are hitting the ground. So, you know, this isn't like 
packed wall to wall with people or things or anything. It's a very barren wooden building. Um, and then he makes his way to the teller. And Milton's working from office space. Well, they just never <laughs> fix the glitch. He's just mumbling a lot about his stapler. Uh, like, I'm going to set this bank on fire. Um, of course, it's Stephen Root. Yes. Which uh, I know you love Stephen love Root. Stephen and Root. I do as well. There is something about him that's just amazing yeah. in anything he does. Of course, he's been in other Coen Brother movies mm-hmm. as well. And he you plays... always have this minute where you're just like, wait, is that Stephen Root? <laughs> like, yeah, of course it is. I knew because I was in a Coen Brothers movie. I just saw, oh, weird kind of, oh, that's Stephen mm-hmm. Root. Yeah. Of course it is. Um, yeah, so Stephen Root is the only bank teller uh, working. Only person. <laughs> only person around for miles, apparently. Mm-hmm. And they kind of go back and forth. Uh, they kind of talk about, you know, how busy the bank is. The cowboy, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. James Franco, asks him, like, have you ever been robbed before? And He says, you know, people tried. Well, yeah, but it's funny because he does it in such a mumbly Stephen Root kind of way uh-huh. of like, oh, yeah, sure. Uh, a couple times, uh, one guy had to kill myself and then another guy had to wait for the like the sheriff to show up. So I had to leave him in the vault and his legs were chopped off. And, you know, it's like... <laughs> What? <laughs> uh, and then James Franco, here, here's the gun. You know? Right. Like James Franco's going to say, all right, let's let's do this then. And it doesn't work out that way. Yeah. He he like ducks down and then ends up hitting the two rifles or shotguns that he has set up under the teller He's booth. got like three shotguns yeah, set up. Between just perfectly them. lined up. And he's able to just roll around and. Brilliant. Um, and he gets out of there and James Franco gets out of there. Uh, makes his way back outside to hide behind the well, and he's trying to get his horse to to come to him, and then Pan Shot shows up. <laughs> yeah. So what I loved about uh, the shot right before that was when he sees the coast is clear and he's kind of disappeared, he kind of looks both ways to see if he has enough like room to run to his mm-hmm. horse to just make the getaway. Yeah. But they already established the wind, so it's like his hat falls off, he doesn't care, and then, like, boom, Steven Root's shooting at him. <laughs> And he drops the bag of money, and like the money's just kind of flying all over the place. Yeah. Where I, I kind of love that moment. Yeah. It's not about the money anymore. It's just about like survival. Like, right. oh, I tried robbing, didn't work out. Now I just got to like now survive. I just got to get out of here so I can go somewhere else. Which I always just love about Westerns in general. It's just, it's just yeah. showing like, okay, on to the next step. Now right. I got to survive this scenario. Right. And I like the resourcefulness of Steve, Steven Root's Bang Teller character because <laughs> not only does he have like these shotguns lined up perfectly to wherever a robber could duck and try to get to him, but then he's got this full like <laughs> suit of armor made out of a washboard and pots and pans and he just screaming pan shot as he comes after him it's probably my favorite moment <laughs> pan shot like he just keeps shooting him and hits a pan like pan shot i think it's like three different takes i i wonder if like that technology was what inspired bulletproof vest his pan, <laughs> pan shot, shot vest <laughs> no and the coen brothers are just like what would be the equivalent of a bulletproof right vest? like how would a bank teller who's been robbed multiple times learn to protect himself out here because clearly they're not like hiring anybody to help him. He's got a so, pan outfit. Yeah, he's just got to figure it out on his own. So he just gathered up all his pots and pans and washboard and his shotguns and he just yeah. made himself protection and it's pretty baller. It's that weird comedy style of them as mm-hmm. well where... It's they're absurd. Just, they're shooting back and forth, hits a pan, he's like, pan shot! And he keeps <laughs> running at him and then he takes a shot. James Franco has a duck, takes another shot, hits another pan, mm-hmm. pan shot! Yeah. And uh, knocks Frank, him unconscious. Frank goes out of bullets, and he wakes up. Where does he wake up? Well, he wakes up on um 
on his horse with a noose around his neck and the I guess basically they're just credited as they're just a posse basically yeah. that they're like they've been hired to carry out his sentence and he wakes up right at the end like do you understand he's like um, we, we we figured out that you did it we decided that you did it while this was going on yeah so, so like that was his trial and he's like he's like wait on what charges and he's like <laughs> kind of rolls his eyes like well yeah well yeah. dude he was like unconscious this whole time of course you gotta reread it again there were a couple of the guys in the posse they were like can i have your horse <laughs> he's like no you can't have my horse <laughs> it's like selfish <laughs> Uh, but it did waste enough time that one of them got hit in the neck with the arrow. And uh, the com- savages are well, coming after him. The Comanches, yes, comes out, come mm-hmm. out in a, a war party and takes out all of the the posse, the people mm-hmm. carrying out the sentence. Leaves James Franco to just hang on his horse with his mm-hmm. uh, noose around his neck, and we'll see what happens. And we kind of led to believe, like, oh, this is one of those classic westerns where the bad guys gonna get away with it right you know kind of got saved by the bell and, and he does a, a local farmer comes by right takes off the the shoots off the rope mm-hmm. and then brings him along with him jump cut and he's just talking about how he, he would like him to be his sidekick because he's never had a good right. sidekick before right he's had other sidekicks and they've tried and he's just mumbling a bunch but then, yeah and then they end up getting clipped for uh for something else. Basically um, another posse a bunch mm-hmm. of horses on the horizon are headed their way and then just jump cut, uh, James Franco, a.k.a. Cowboy, is uh, back up in chains, getting taken back to the next local town, just get charged with a new crime. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even get to say anything. He's like, hold your lip. <laughs> and then just jump cut, he's got another noose around his neck. Yep. And he looks at uh, the, the, the older man the crying old next to guy. him because he's set up on display <laughs> with four other gentlemen about to get They're hung. in the gallows. And uh, he goes, oh, first time? <laughs> and he goes, huh? He just continues crying. Right. And then right before he goes, he sees a beautiful girl. Of course, All everyone else is very bright, colorful blue dress. Everyone else is in black and white. And he just goes, there's a pretty girl. But it's over quick because he gets a... Because <laughs> that's it. He gets a hood over his face and yeah. a neck broken. Yeah. Next story. Yeah. I mean, I like it because it's kind of happy and sad, this ending. Because it's like, yeah, I mean, it's sad. Once again, our hero is gone. Our hero is dead, but it's a little bit happy because he does get to see something kind of beautiful and that he appreciates before he's killed. So it's a little like funny and ironic that like, oh, yeah, and then here I am getting picked up for not robbing banks, not killing anyone, and I'm getting hung for not killing anybody. (laughs) And once again, too, this is Coen Brothers playing with uh, the genre, the Western genre movies, like all the classics, like kind of hitting all the notes but in their own way. Mm-hmm. How many times, countless times have you seen before where there's a villain, there's a protagonist that we're following, gets busted, looks like he's going to die, but he's kind of saved at that last minute mm-hmm. by the other circumstances around him. And then he is going to go on to continue on our story. But then, nope, just kidding. He got caught like immediately right. after and actually in the same situation, just a little different. And then he died this time. Right. And then you're like, wait, do I have a new... <laughs> new hero now what's going on <laughs> yeah and I, I think that's what I love about it because I was thinking for a second there that this is going to be maybe like a little bit longer and the running joke is he's just basically going to always like throughout this day find himself like in the gallows getting out just on always some form of a rope around his neck essentially <laughs> he's going to die but then he gets out of it by another circumstance and maybe it's going to be more kind of like an absurdist comedy approach yeah to just show how like frequent you could get caught and just be hung for mm-hmm. anything. 
but no. Nope. He's dead. That was the end of that one. Um, I really do enjoy this one. Um, I mentioned the sound design. I mentioned mm-hmm. uh, just how it was shot. Um, I haven't seen James Franco for a while in something. Mm-hmm. Since but, Disaster Artist, really. Um, yeah, really Disaster Artist. I'm sure there's some other stuff I'm forgetting, mm-hmm. but um, I haven't seen him since he played Tommy Wiseau. I would love if he played Tommy when he had the rope on his neck, like, oh, first time. <laughs> You're just a chicken. Chip, 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 chip. No, uh, but in all serious, back on, back on track, though. I loved how it ended, though, because mm-hmm. it just kind of just said, we're not going to give you the satisfaction of seeing this classical story. Just, no, 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 no. Like, he gets caught, like, yeah. seconds later and yeah. gets killed. Yeah, he's not a good guy. And But it's usually we get a moment in the story where, he doesn't learn his lesson from the close call he had before and then tries to rob again and then gets caught. Mm-hmm. But instead, actually, he just had moments where we right. even see the red rope around his neck while he's like just kind of like moments later after getting saved. Just kind of listen to that guy talk about sidekicks. Right. And then, nope, <laughs> you just got caught just by another circumstance. Yep. Like that time he was innocent. He didn't do anything but right. just... He's just with the wrong person now. Yeah. He when he was a loner, he was doing bad stuff. When he was like matched up with somebody, yeah. He thought he was just existing, and then boom. Yeah. Ah well. <laughs> Next. Farewell. Time to move on. <laughs> the the third segment, uh, it's meal ticket. Now I don't know about you, but I think this was probably my favorite one. I don't know if I'm really ranking it, but this one. This was a pretty good one. It this was, was pretty one amazing. of the top ones for me. A lot of stuff going on here. So uh, two main actors right now. Um, Liam Neeson going around town to town. He's got this like kind of sideshow act where he gets people, collects coins in the hat. Mm-hmm. I don't know. what What is he? He's, he's kind of the just... The proprietor. Keeps traveling to the next town. And yeah, you're right. He's just the proprietor. Yeah. I don't even think he really has a name in this no, at all. a lot of people don't have names in this. A lot of people actually don't, except yeah. for Buster Scruggs. Right. <laughs> Rest in peace. All we see at the very beginning, we see him setting up something. We know that he has like this kind of theatrical act Mm -hmm. uh, where monologues being read. He's titled as the artist in this, uh, but he is a boy that has no arms or legs. Yeah. We reveal it's it's uh, limbless Dudley Dursley. And Dudley Dursley is, hang on, I want (laughs) to. I always like to show that I'm a, I I know my Harry Potter. (laughs) Your Harry Potterness. He's the chubby uh, cousin. Yes. Yes. yes, he is. He's like mean to Harry, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So he's kind of come a long way. It's a big he transformation. Because I remember has. him as like a younger chubby kid that was like kind of a jerk. Yeah, he's glowed up, as they say. Yes. Well, in this, he uh, doesn't have arms and legs. He is. Little um, Dudley. And, and I've watched this a couple times. Uh, he opens up with this big monologue, uh, mm-hmm. sort of, would you call it like a soliloquy? He covered a couple poems and some Shakespeare. He did some Shakespeare. Um, but he's also and he did Gettysburg Address. So he, they, and they kind of show it in the montage. A lot of the poetry that he was saying was a little bit about like moving on from things, uh, inevitable decline and stuff like that. So... Yeah, and I always, maybe I'm wrong and I was getting the wrong impression, but it kind of felt like the very first time we see him, we get more of his act. Mm-hmm. He kind of is explaining his situation as well. It felt like, at yeah. least to me, like he's kind of like giving you in a very poetic way the story of how he came to be a boy without any arms and legs and kind of, you know, kind of setting up Liam Neeson of, Okay, well, mm-hmm. then he found me and here I am sort of. Well, I think that was the poem. Um, I met a traveler from an antique land or something like that. So that's part of the poem. Okay, so maybe that, that, that was it. So it was part of the poem, yeah. but then obviously Coen Brothers, by choice, chose that poem because it was kind of mm-hmm. the, the way I was interpreting it. Was it was storytelling. Him kind of explaining yes. of 
how I found myself in this. Yeah, there's nothing that they like did by situation. mistake. And we're we're kind of like just led to believe that uh, the two of them have been kind of paired up. We don't really know their relationship right. besides just simply he's shipping him around, taking care of him. Right. He's the performer. He's the artist, yeah. and he's collecting money. And he's just kind of like a freak show for him of just going yeah. town they leave to town it up to for, entertain. They leave it up for the audience to interpret because it could be a father and son. It could be brothers. It could be strangers. He could just be a man that found this kind of what he assumed was a, a, a freak and just said, hey, let's make some money off of this. That's what I saw online as well. There's basically like a 50-50 fan theory of like this is his son mm-hmm. or that they're just simply just strangers. I'm, I'm kind of on the latter part of that. I'm mm-hmm. kind of – I think they're just strangers. I think he simply basically what we he's a businessman. What we d- discover over the proprietor after this is just simply – he just saw a way to make some money. Mm-hmm. You'll do, you There's know. No business like show. <laughs> exactly. Um, really fascinating. They never talk no. ever uh, between each other. Mm-mm. It's interesting though because um, you know, also at the whorehouse, you hear Liam Neeson talk in front of him. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, the relationship they do not have any conversations while always traveling this great distance between town and mm-hmm. town again. Doing the same act over yeah. and over and over. You get montages. Yeah, and they never talk to each other at all. Especially the artist um, uh, Dudley, our uh, limbless man, <laughs> um, never says anything in this piece besides his act. Mm-hmm. I actually, never see him say a single word at yeah. all, which is pretty amazing, right? Because he was telling such a story about the struggles, pain, and anguish in his situation he's in. Simply just by, like, telling me with his eyes mm-hmm. and his facial expressions. Yeah. Of course, we get a montage of kind of what we would imagine what this life would be like. Uh, we see him helping him take a piss. We see that he has to feed him. Mm-hmm. When he goes to the whorehouse, he has to, like, carry him. On his back and turn him away. Yeah, like, he has to basically wear him like a backpack. Like, uh-huh. you can see, like, there. obviously, you know, you're not really empathizing with Liam Neeson's character. Right. But you kind of see, like... The actual burden that the great lengths that he is like burdening, like carrying this man around. That yeah, but he's do almost carrying him around as if it's his wallet, you know. Totally, and that that is a hundred percent. I agree with that. Where you don't really empathize with him, but mm-hmm. you also kind of realize, like, wow, you know. I loved a little small moment in this montage when he's uh, cooking him up some beans, mm-hmm. and uh, it's too hot. But like, even at that point, he doesn't talk to him. He just kind of like when it first feeds him the first spoonful, yeah. just kind of goes like. He just reacts. Oh, oh. And then they, they both start blowing on the, the beans. So mm-hmm. kind of like they had this respect and they had this relationship that we both have to get right. through this kind of thing. But again, if he burns his mouth and can't talk, then he can't make money off of him. So there's there's also those all right those bits and pieces. And, and through all the montages that you're seeing, <laughs> you're also seeing this montage of the crowd diminishing. Like there was a big crowd in that first opening monologue that exactly. he gave. And then the crowds just get shorter and smaller and smaller. And then you start seeing people leaving in the middle of the show. So well, once again, I'll bow down to you. Advantage, Juliet. You have still found the negative side of I will Neeson's always character. find the negative side in Liam Neeson. <laughs> For the record, I am not supporting. <laughs> he probably took that kid. This kid was I taken. I will find you. I will find your arms and legs. <laughs> I, will find your arms. <laughs> I know many people and I have a lot of skills that I've acquired. I will find your arms and legs. <laughs> okay. Um, so as so moving along, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, the act is kind of running dry. Mm-hmm. Um, not that many people are attending. In fact, the last one we saw, there was just about three men in the yeah. audience and none of them even donated a quarter. Right. 
we're getting hints for this before. He looks in his hat a few times during the montage, and like this isn't working anymore. This isn't prosperous. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't. You know, I, I need to find that new thing. And of course, he sees that there's a chicken that can count numbers, and yeah. people bet on him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he buys the chicken. Right. Then we see like that they're in. Um, basically, sees uh, you know reveals to the artist like you know his new companion in the back of the trailer, mm-hmm. and we have this shot and it's like almost on his face right now of just that's when he's kind of done. You're like, oh, I'm very replaceable. Yeah. Or he's kind of found his new angle. Right. And then uh, let's talk about the ending. That was like the hardest ending out of all. Yeah. Of them. I felt I felt like for me that was the hardest one because it was beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much going on and no one talks. Right. Um, but I felt like I heard a mouthful of dialogue oh, yeah. going on in this scene. Yeah. He stops. It's in the dead of winter. Sees that there is a is a bridge with a significant drop off down to like mm-hmm. a, a river. Like heavily flowing river. Heavily flowing river. And we see him stop. And, you know, the artist is kind of staring out to the best advantage well, he he's, can get. He's confused by why they stop, so he's kind of like looking around like, why did we stop? And then, you know, again, with the sound design of these movies, you're hearing as Liam Neeson gets closer to the water what's really going on. He throws a huge rock down mm-hmm. there, obviously testing to see how deep, how it, deep is. it is. Which uh, is humane, so I'll give Liam Neeson's character that. <laughs> Wait, now you're giving him a point. I'm going to give him a point because, you know, it, he... If it wasn't super deep, yeah. he could have just tossed him and been like, all right, bye, enjoy the elements. But he was like... I'll give him one extra point if he would have went all the way down there and tested how warm or like what the temperature was like. <laughs> no, because he's like, kill him. Like, let's make sure this kid does not survive this. Yeah, I think he was just making sure that a body could sink down there, you know? Because, yeah. I mean, if you throw anyone off that distance, they're most likely going to die, right? Right, Especially he was they... just making sure. Yeah, I know, but I mean, I think I no, mean, I'm giving him a point. I don't, I don't, I don't like that point. <laughs> I'd argue, Murder point, not a good I'd point. I'd argue the nicest thing that he did was turned him around at when he was hooking up with his prostitute. <laughs> we'll agree to disagree. Now let's go back to our really dramatic ending. Oh, he throws the rock and then turns around and slowly makes his way to the back of the wagon, and the artist and him kind of make eye contact. The, the moment for me was you just go look at his face. Mm-hmm. The artist I'm talking about, the limbless Dudley. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of figured it out. And he yeah. kind of has almost like a sigh of, I couldn't tell if the sigh was, okay, it's time. Mm-hmm. Like I've been expecting this day to happen for a while now. Mm-hmm. But then it's Liam Neeson's kind of, it's a slight like grin smile that he gives him right before the it cuts. Yeah. I think the kid probably, Limless Dudley probably wanted this for a little bit. And Liam Neeson was being a little selfish by not giving this to him. Uh, and then he finally found something to replace him and was like, okay, yeah, but let's I mean, end it. <laughs> so Again, another murder point. So overall, that's very interesting because I kind of feel he doesn't want to really die. I'm sure he's not happy with the quality of life that he has. But regardless, I'm sure he wasn't like, oh, finally, you're going to put me out of my misery by throwing me off a bridge into a river. I mean, I'm sure he would have just like the old like bullet to the head or (laughs) pillow over the face suffocating. You know what I mean? Something like it was this kind of look of just like, oh, shit. Like, okay, this is it. And then when he gives that look, it was just that Mm -hmm. slight little look and grin. And then we cut. 
he's riding again. Mm-hmm. And then the chicken is in the back. Just no, no, just no boy math. anymore. Overall, I, like I said, I think this is my favorite one. The flow was great. It was beautiful how the story was told with absolutely no dialogue between the two main characters during all that. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I thought it was like the best constructed like beginning, middle, end one. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I felt like this was one of the top ones. I, I loved the, the, the script without dialogue was amazing. And then kind of really looking into every single poem and soliloquy and speech that he was giving during his performance. They're all a little bit connected. Just kind of the decline of the greatness that this was because this performance was great and everybody showed up and then it just declined at the end and he ended it. It was just everything had a purpose in this. Everything, nothing was a mistake in the story that was told. And this was a really strong one. There's a lot of people online that just go, well, if I had it my way, I would put the first one last and then this one would get <laughs> cut. Like some people are saying like they want this one to get cut. It was so stupid. I'm just ugh. <laughs> I feel bad for people like that that can miss out on this beautiful piece of art, especially yeah. this segment meal ticket was of just you can't let go of yourself a little bit to just kind of ask yourself what is going on right now instead of uh, so boring. Right. Well, I will say that that's kind of my thing with the Coen brothers is you have to if you don't like it when you first watch it, you got to try it again. And I almost did it with this where I watched it and I'm just kind of a little distracted and my mind is not in the right place and then watched it again with my mind in the right place to watch it. And I loved it. So I, I implore anybody who cares enough to want to like this to watch it twice. And as with every other Coen Brothers movie, watch it twice. Yeah, I definitely think this one is perfect to see uh, two times. Mm-hmm. But I think all Coen Brothers movies need to be watched more than once, mm-hmm. especially Intolerable Cruelty. <laughs> that was a gem. All right. Moving on. Moving on. So All Gold Canyon. This is our this fourth. This might have been my favorite. I really like this one as well. The only thing that I had a knock on it, this was just a regular Tom Waits weekend. This was I thought this was found footage. This is what Tom Waits actually does yeah. in his cabin in Colorado. <laughs> Mr. Pocket. Yeah, no, I will say that um, my biggest takeaway of this whole thing is that I need to go to Telluride, Colorado, where this was shot, if that's what it looks like. Because that was insane. Like, the, the cinematography of this one was amazing. Um, the, the sound design of this one was amazing. I this was my I think this was my favorite one. It's just such a I'm a sucker for kind of a happy ending when it comes to a western because westerns are always so like <laughs> depressing and horrible and I'm just rooting for this guy start to finish and he's just kind of a hard working good guy. He's not greedy. You know, he steals just one egg when he could have taken all of them, but then he stole just the one and He's just he's just a good guy, and he's kind of rewarded at the end, and I dig it. Yeah, so so Tom Waits, though, goes to this magical, untouched landscape. It's shot in Telluride. I don't know if it's supposed to be Telluride, though. I don't or, know, but it's just shot there. It's and shot there. It's beautiful. Exists, there's a flowing stream. We see that there's a deer. There's flowing fish. There's an beautiful. owl. Clear water. Blue skies. Everything is perfect and untouched mm-hmm. about this beautiful landscape. And in comes Tom Waits. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a gold prospector, and he's out here to discover gold. Talk to himself. Talk to himself. He's got a donkey. He's ready. <laughs> and um, we just see him start digging holes, puts a bunch of dirt in the pan, mm-hmm. washes it off, and then he's talking to himself of, like, 
kind of like uh, being like Goldilocks. <laughs> no pun intended there, but, <laughs> you know, like this area, oh, this is not enough. This is uh, looking he just, good. He he's was, trying wasn't to, finding it. He's he trying to find, he's he finding wanted. specks over there, but he's trying to kind of get the pattern of which way to start digging upward. Mm-hmm. And then just over time, he has to take breaks and he camps out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's over the course of a couple days. Yeah, he camps out under the stars, but he basically starts talking to the mountain, kind of how Tom Hanks yeah. talks to Wilson, who just calling <laughs> um, wherever this big gold pocket is, he just calls it Mr. Pocket. And he's <laughs> Wilson! like, Wilson! All right, not another. <laughs> Not not enough today, Mr. Pocket. I'm going to go. I got to get some sleep. I'm an old man. And uh, he kind of finds out where like this kind of triangle, this pocket is forming where is, this is where he's got to dig deeper and deeper mm-hmm. for the gold. And then when he strikes gold, he's struck gold. He yeah. finds some big pockets of yeah. gold. And this is a good time for the old man. Yeah. Um, but then so The happens? sun is shining. It's glimmering <laughs> off of his gold. And then... Uh, a shadow is cast, and we get this amazing shot—a close-up of Tom Waits with this figure all in black behind him and a gun pointed at him. I was always thinking this in the back of my head the whole time: of he's going to do all this work, and something's well, going to happen. Not only are we watching a movie, and there's going to be some kind of form of violence or something—you know, like some like some conflict happen, mm-hmm. right? I don't think the conflict was just going to be like, oh, I can't find Mr. Pocket. Right. I didn't I'll- think the conflict was going to be human. I thought like the owl was going to be like, you shouldn't have taken that one egg. <laughs> <laughs> the whole, the whole, whole, all of nature just kills him. <laughs> just like all the old westerns when nature and owls and owls. deer and fish come out and they form. Like the a- owl had two different color eyes. I was like, It's similar to uh, the ending of Toy Story 1 where all the toys turn on Sid. <laughs> Or Mr. Pocket actually is a person. It's like this big gold monster comes out. <laughs> I'll kill you, Tom Waits. Oh, hey, Mr. Pocket. Anyways. Didn't what happen. I, what I loved about it, though, I was always thinking that something's going to happen to him. And I was thinking in the form of someone else is going to stumble on this. He's going to do all the work and then possibly Boom. get killed. But it wasn't. It was like how it happened, though. Because right. when they showed the shot of his pickaxe, when he looks at that after he stops for a while, because he's so excited, then he stops. Right away, he's like, oh, that's how far my weapon is. Yeah. And then, yeah, we see there's someone behind him. and Beautiful shot. Yeah. That that whole, this is why this one's my favorite, because not only is it just like one man in nature just killing it out there, and the acting and the cinematography mm-hmm. is just like, that was just cool. Yeah, and what happens? Well, he get, shoots him in the back. He gets and shot then in the back. And he takes his sweet-ass time rolling a cigarette. He wanted to make sure that he was dead. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, you know, he rolls a cigarette, kind of, like, looks at the sky, takes in the scenery. He smokes a little of the cig and then puts it out Well, right he takes away. one hit off of it. I mean, yeah. I, I like to assume he's trying to quit, so he's just like, let me roll it <laughs> real quick. Take one hit. That's all I need. All right, I'll put it back. You know, he's being responsible. <laughs> he's got a few patches on. Yeah. Anyways, uh, by the time he goes down to go check, and I really love also like how the blood is uh, going to become saturated yeah. on his back from the bullet wound. Mm-hmm. And then by the time he gets down there to go move the body and check out the gold hall that he's about mm-hmm. to steal, Tom Waits is not dead. Prospector no. flips around. They have a big battle. He ends up getting his gun, and he... Yep. Shoots him dead. Yep. In the hole. It was awesome. And then he has this moment because we're kind of watching this. Well, he should be dead. He's like bled mm-hmm. out by now. But it turns out the bullet has miraculously went all the way through his body. Mm-hmm. 
As bullets do. Mr. Pocket, it went Mr. all the way Pocket. through. But didn't get, didn't get anything. It was awesome important. acting because he's also really upset. Like he's yelling at the he's guy pissed. killed as well. He's really pissed. Like you think you can steal from me? Well, I'd be pissed too. He just worked for days doing mm-hmm. this. He finally and and it's and he's just working for days at this one spot. But you look at that man. He's been doing this for a very long time. Right. But also, I'd argue that someone that's been doing this for a long time also knows that there's people out there that would definitely steal, like vultures or something like that. You know. When the animals attack, in well, my I'm, version of this. I'm just saying, like, you know, he stole from the owl as well. Yeah. So, you know. That's what I'm saying. I thought the animals were going to have animal justice. But no, I mean, he's just, he's angry. Like, this person is just greedy. He's been following around, tried to steal his gold. Yeah. But he's gone. And I got my happy ending. I got my colorful, beautifully shot mm-hmm. world. And then my happy ending of my prospector getting his gold and burying the jackass and yeah and the thing is it's left ambiguous because you see him leave just like how he came in just the mm-hmm. same as the fish that were um hiding now kind of go back the deer comes mm-hmm. out um so we kind of see this bookend ending and beginning of now he's ready to leave the land and then everything can resume again mm-hmm. fun fan theory of this though is there's some theories that he actually did die and then mm. the kind of like the ending part was his spirit imagining himself like the want to like oh. resurrect and come back. So he actually ended up dying that hole. Okay. But I'm left with the theory that you're on of just, no, simply it just went all the way through. He's very, very lucky, but yeah. he ended up winning. And Don't worry. Don't, don't ruin my happy ending. And the American dream is still alive. Thank you know, you. he's got the gold, he's done all the work and he's going to ride off. Mm-hmm. My only argument though, is that, is he going to survive the ride back to wherever he's got to go? Because <laughs> he's got, I was always thinking this too. He's got so much of this gold on him. I mean, what are the chances on his donkey, a man that has, he's old, a bullets went all the way through him and he's lost a lot of blood carrying a bunch of gold like how is he not going to get picked off a couple miles right. later again why are you ruining my happy ending i'm just i'm just being real <laughs> all right that's enough mr pocket all right mr pocket let's move on to our longest one yeah the gal who got rattled yes we are opened up on um, a dinner table uh, where there's a bunch of people at dinner and it's like an airbnb it seems yeah it's kind of <laughs> It's definitely, it's a nice Airbnb. I hope they got a good rate. Um, they had chicken dumplings, so that was all good. Oh, maybe that was the chicken. Um, Zoe Kazan, uh, she was in The Big Sick, mm-hmm. uh, Ruby Sparks. Yeah, um, she's great. Really good actress. I yeah. loved the stuff that she's in. Um, it was interesting because she seemed younger in this um, film than I've been known yeah. to know her in the, the work that she's done. Well, I think that she's also very innocent, in this, she's, you know, a little nervous prairie girl. Yes, um, yes. And, and also, you know, being promised to be betrothed to a strange man, you know, like, where we are in history. She's got to be young because she's got to be able to, like, pump out them kids. Zoe plays Alice Longabo and with her brother Gilbert, and he's got a dog, um, President Pierce, the, the 14th president, I believe. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it's a little dog. It's a little terrier. Um, um, her and her brother are going to set off with a wagon uh, group to hit mm-hmm. the Oregon Trail. Yeah. 
Um, going so, to Oregon. So we're going to kind of get um, the setting, what we, what it was like to actually be on the Oregon Trail. Mm-hmm. Now, it's unlike the video game that we played in elementary school. Right. I mean, I remember, I remember dysentery. I remember oxen. Do you remember Terrier barking too loud? I don't remember Terrier. <laughs> I was significantly worried about this dog for a very long time well, of in this course, movie. Of course you were. So they, they, they hit the trail, and um, we basically kind of get taste of the journey. Um, her brother's already got kind of a cough. Yeah, and which, which we find out, you know, if you listen to the conversation they're having at the dinner table, there was a person that was staying there that had a cough. And she said, I don't think it's contagious, though, so you should that's be true. fine. That's true. Yes, yes, that's uh, true. We find out it was contagious. But uh, the cough gets the best of him. We see him cough a lot over, like, like well, the, our first night with them, but I don't know what night it was with them, and he passes away in his sleep. Mm-hmm. People have been complaining about how his dog is barking as well. Um, he doesn't care. And then now Alice is left with, I guess, now ownership of this dog, as well as now a dead brother, and really doesn't know where to go. So we're introduced to the two cowboys that are leading this uh, caravan yeah. of wagons, yeah. this wagon caravan. They're the two cowboys. One brings up the rear, one takes up the front. Of course, it's Billy Knapp and then Mr. Arthur. Mm-hmm. Billy Knapp is a little bit more younger and he's a little bit more comforting, whereas uh, Mr. Arthur doesn't really say anything no. at all. He just besides like mumbling one word or right. enough. They say condolences and they kind of say, would you like to continue on or do you want to hit a party on the way back? Mm-hmm. And she says, well, I got nowhere else to go. Yeah. So I'm going to continue on. But then, of course, we find the big conflict now is that her dog's barking. A lot of people are complaining. Right. Billy Knapp offers to put the dog down, and she says, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but the dog runs away, and that's that for right now for President Pierce. 14th president, I think. The, I don't the 14th, know. 14th, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. Don't <laughs> quote me on that. Uh, it's a terrier. Um, so she's a little strapped. She has no cash. Yeah. And, uh, and she's a nervous girl throughout this whole thing. Yes, She's yes. kind of like a hot mess. And, you know, she doesn't like when people are like standing to greet her and everything. And she's just, she's just a little bit shaky over everything. Then what Billy Knapp's plan is that he's going to propose yeah. to Alice. And then he'll take over her he's wagon. He's taking a liking to her. So what does Mr. Arthur say when he says that to him? I don't fucking know. He says you nothing. You always ask me these questions. He says nothing. Well, I thought you watched it. <laughs> Sorry. I did. He says nothing. I didn't write the script down. Mr. Arthur is just looking for like something on the side of his horse. And he goes, where is that thing? Mm-hmm. Oh, there it is. Right. All right. And then he just yeah. goes to the back. Um, so we know that Billy Knapp it plans to wed Alice. Well, he's offering He's offering, it's and, Alice's decision. Yeah, but that way then he can take over her wagon. Mm-hmm. So he's no longer, um, and he's going to settle down in Oregon with her. Yeah. So he's no longer kind of leading this caravan anymore because he's going to take over her wagon. Yeah. And he's like, you cool if I do that, Arthur? And, and they Arthur's also talk like, about, um, I don't remember the numbers, but um, as a married couple, you can actually claim more land. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's a little kind of Still a business true. decision as well. So let's just kind of flash forward yeah. to the very ending where uh, Mr. Arthur... Well, um, so she wanders off. Well, she wanders off, but first, Mr. Arthur is looking at some tracks in the mud. So he's looking at some tracks in the mud, and then he decides he has to kind of wander back. So he's looking for Billy Knapp to talk to him. Mm-hmm. But then he notices that Alice is missing. So then he says to the hired help, Where, where's the woman? And he's like, I don't know, ran after mm-hmm. the dog or something. And this also, it's it's important to say that Alice actually has accepted Billy's proposal at this point uh and she 
made it very clear I've always been very nervous and for the first time ever you've put me at ease and I feel comfort. Good old Billy. Yeah, because Billy's a babe. And she's just like, I feel comfort with you. I'm I I happily accept this and, and I'm good with this. Let's do this. So Alice is feeling a little more comfort and confidence now, which I think is part of the reason that she wandered off. Yeah, so she is feeling more confident, and, and we know that for anything off camera, she discovered that her dog, because you hear it barking once in a mm-hmm. while, is kind of a comic relief uh, aspect. So Mr. Arthur gallops, um, seems like, it, I think it's like something kind of like 10 to 20 minutes away from the trail, and finds mm-hmm. her, and she's just with the dog. and Giggling at prairie dogs. The dog's barking at the prairie dogs as they pop in and out, mm-hmm. in and out, and she goes, oh, what are those things? And he goes, prairie dogs, ma'am. Oh, man, we need to get back. But before they can even get back, because she's just like you said, I, I love how you pointed that out. Yeah. She's feeling way more confident at this point. It's the first time we've seen her laugh the entire time. Yeah, and get a sense of relief. I mean, her brother's yeah. died on this trip. She's flat broke. And she found the dog that she didn't really care for, but she's enjoying it. Kind of enjoying it now. And before they, though, can head back to the rest of the group, sees that there's a war party uh, up on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Those savages. So, Miss... <laughs> So Mr. Arthur uh, gives the peace symbol up, is not returned, and he goes, okay, the, we're going to have a fight. So this mm-hmm. is, and he gives her strict instructions. There is two bullets in this gun, okay? If I tell you we're licked, I'm going to grab this gun, and I'm going to shoot you in the head, and then shoot myself in the head. If, for some reason, that I get licked in this fight, you need to put this, and he shows her, and she's like, I don't think I can do it, like, kind of, like, she freaks out. She freaks out, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And it's, I feel so bad for her, because finally she's having this happy moment, and then it's like, oh, nope, nope yep. here comes a tragedy. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Arthur um, takes them all on. He explains to her what's going to happen to her if she doesn't do it. Because she throws the gun and she's like, I can't do that. Yes, I'm not going to do true. it. Yeah, yeah. And he explains in graphic detail what will happen to her if she doesn't. And that's very real of what went on back then. Let's know all the horrible things that they will mm-hmm. do to her. So it's better for her just to take her own life. Yes. So she says, so she doesn't say anything, obviously, yeah. but she just, okay, I'm going to do it. And she holds onto that gun and she gets down and a battle happens and it's baller. Yeah. And Mr. Arthur takes on the whole war yeah. party. He yeah. picks off one guy after mm-hmm. uh, And we've another. established that he's a good shot because Billy said when he went to shoot the dog that he should, he's like, I should have deputized Mr. Arthur for this because he's a crack shot and he can't. Yes, exactly. Misses. Which is no accident or whatever. Their dialogue never is. Never an accident. Yeah, exactly. Ever. So he's um, holding his own. Yeah. But also the with the help of the prairie dog holes. Down. Now that kind of took me back to uh, Pan Shot. There's a lot of times where um, you'd see them wipe out in the prairie dog hole, which I know like wiping out is not good, but it's like I like how we just assume they're down for the count because they right. fell on a, you know, dog hole. But he's like keeps yelling, dog hole, dog hole, dog hole. <laughs> so round two coming up, he's just taking aim and then uh, the leader gets taken out by a dog hole. Mm-hmm. And you think he's kind of scared the rest of them off. And then you see this horse just rogue come. horse is coming at him. He, of course, he's going to claim the horse so they could use it mm-hmm. for their the rest of their trip. That was cool. That was a really cool action shot of this this um, Native like, American just like hidden on the side. And I, that was a shock for me of him. The way his body just like maneuvered out, just right back yeah. on the horse, smacked him in the head with his hatchet. He jumped off and went to scalp him. And then he gets an upside down shot in the face. Did a good job playing possum. Yeah. Or I guess in this case, playing prairie dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so coast is clear. But then he sees that the terrier, you know, mm-hmm. the 14th president, is <laughs> is barking. Mm-hmm. 
And it turns out when he did get hit in the face, Alice assumed that he was dead. So yeah. she already shut herself Well, because he hadn't talked the entire short, the entire vignette. And then he just made sure to consistently be talking. I think that's part of him going, prairie dog, dog hole, dog hole, was kind of him keeping it going so she would hear him as well. So she would know he's alive, he's okay, he's knocking them all down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... When he gets hit and she doesn't hear him react at yeah. all to the hit, she knows that it wasn't one of the Native Americans that got hit. That was him that time. She took herself out. Absolutely. I mean, maybe if I was Alice, I'd wait just a little bit to like just see really what happened. And then if he is coming at me, then it's time for me to end it. But mm-hmm. at the same time, Alice did nervous not have that luxury. She was rattled. nervous and she followed instructions. And Mr. Arthur is kind of beside himself of... Mm-hmm. What do I want to get to tell Billy? Oh, uh, She's dead. Mm-hmm. And all we're led to believe then is Billy Knapp is then going to just continue doing this wagon. Yep. Moving business. Mm-hmm. Essentially, he works for U-Haul. <laughs> Except they're going to Oregon with wagons and oxen. Use haul Because I haul use <laughs> around. I, I really did like this a lot. Um, it was interesting because this is our longest one mm-hmm. out of all of them. And I mean, it felt like a f- entire, it was a full piece. A lot of them were scenes and moments and true vignettes. But this felt like an entire short film. Beginning, middle, end. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. Um, it was interesting because, you know, still, it, like most of these, like the theme going on is like the death comes at a very kind of sudden halting uh, pace, you mm-hmm. know? So I feel like this still, the story was progressing to a certain thing and then boom, she's dead. Mm-hmm. Like story's over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it still held, like, it was still effective for me because every single death that happens in every single one of these vignettes, these segments, um, these stories, um, the people that were following, were following and following until then, boom, we're not following. And Which is such as death. That doesn't wait for a conclusion sometimes. Right. And this is our um, only really female-led one out of all of them. And it's actually not what we've come to expect from a female-led res- Western um, this was actually more realistic. Usually these female-led Westerns, like we watch Westworld, we watch all of these things, and it's these like strong women that throw on pants and now they're going to be the heroes and blah, blah, blah. This was a little more realistic right. where, yeah, she was a super nervous girl um, living under her brother, then going to be given to another man. And then when the brother goes, she becomes part of this man's life and this man's caravan. And, you know, she was thoughtful and she was sweet. Um, but her fear made her very weak, uh, and she was, at the end, nervous and not as at ease as she was when she was with Billy, and that's it. And, I mean, again, it's more realistic. It's, yeah. It wouldn't have been realistic, and it wouldn't have been, you know, the beautiful story that we told if she had just gotten up and then she had, like, taken out the the Native Americans, because that wasn't her character. And that's once again, once again, with what the Coen brothers do is like, they kind of feel like they're going to set you up for the cliche that she has to now defend. She has two mm-hmm. bullets to make this work. But they're like, no, 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 she's dead. Right. Yeah. Like, no, this is what would happen. And it's still beautiful and it's still awesome. And it still has the conclusion, even though it's not the twist conclusion you expected. Yeah. Yeah. I love, love it. it. All right. Our very final one take us home the mortal remains so i feel like this kind of starts off as like a regular bar joke Mm -hmm. um an englishman an englishman an irishman (laughs) a frenchman a lady and a trapper are all in a wagon (laughs) no um so of course um you know uh, i I don't know all of the actors and actress uh that that are in this but the, the the most notable one is brendan gleason 
And Tyne um, Daly. Um, who's alive, I did not know. <laughs> That's Oops. true. Tyne Daly, she is alive. She is a living actress. That's why you shouldn't have been complaining that the Oscars I left know. her out of In Memoriam. Like, where's but Tyne she... Daly? I'm over here. I'm in, oh. I'm in the mortal remains. <laughs> so, uh, Brendan Gleeson, of course, he's been in, in Bruges. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, I know something that he might have been in. Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, jerk. <laughs> You're looking at me all funny, like I said in Bruges Rooms. Nope. <laughs> then you're like, oh no, you it's it. Harry Potter. <laughs> oh. Played an Irishman in The Departed, too, right? I mean, yeah. When you need an Irishman, you call Colin Farrell. Who are you going to call? <laughs> the guy's Brendan Gleeson. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, there is a, a Frenchman, a lady, and a trapper all on a wagon, and they're headed to Fort Collins, I believe. I don't remember exactly yeah, where they're heading. Know. They're heading somewhere. And uh, it's daylight, which is important. It's daylight going on during the first part of uh, this story. And accompanying them is an Englishman and an Irishman. And they have um, some cargo on the top. So everyone kind of has casual banter. Um, We get to know the most about Tyne Daly's character, the lady. We get to know the most about kind of her history and, you know, her past love life. The Frenchman... um, Sorry, I, I almost forgot. We got Saul Rubinek in the... the yeah. <laughs> sorry, I just passed over that. Jeez. Oh, Saul Rubinek from True Romance. Sorry, is, man. Is, he's in the wagon as well. <laughs> sorry, much respect. Uh, he's playing the Frenchman. So he kind of like eggs around a little bit. And then we have a trapper as well mm-hmm. that's talking about the kind of stuff he's hunted. And for a while, we're watching like this kind of one-act play. Yeah. Through the... The journey, it starts getting a little bit darker outside. Uh, the trees look a little bit more dead. Mm-hmm. And at one point, um, there, you know, uh, Saul Rubinek, the Frenchman, has kind of got the lady all riled up. It looks like she's almost going to kind of choke. Yeah. But then um, that's when it starts kind of getting darker. So she kind of starts to choke. And um, he looks out to the side of the wagon and just kind of calls for the coachman to stop. And then that's kind of when the Englishman says he can't stop. Once he right. goes, he goes, you know. Right. And uh, it that's when we kind of have our twist, when everything kind of settles a little bit. That's when the Irishman kind of, uh, and the and the Englishman, I just love saying all these character names, uh, they reveal who they are. Well, of course, more like the Englishman reveals, this is my associate, he's the, the thump. Um, I believe they say he's the mm. thump. He's kind of like, he's the enforcer. We're kind of, they call themselves reapers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're here to take you to the other side. Right. And they kind of explain that they're bounty hunter. Um, it's it's there's a there's a job and there's a job to do. They explain about that there's a body on top, you know. And then he kind of like the best part is he kind of talks about he likes to watch people in their eyes as they kind of sort it all out before it's over. They're like sort what out? He's like, well, I don't know. I just watch. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of like getting over this theme that where it's kind of taking us home with what everything we've been watching of just like. Before people pass over to the new side, I like to see before they do, like, kind of reasoning and realizing mm-hmm. this is the end. He's kind of creeped them all out at this point, but then it's time to arrive at their hotel for the night. We see the Englishman and the Irishman grab their body, mm-hmm. their bounty, and uh, carry their body all the way up the stairs. And then the three that are left, you know, the Frenchman, the lady, and the trapper, mm-hmm. are uh, somewhat kind of hesitant to leave the wagon. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of slowly, slowly approach the doors of the hotel. And 
before like looking back, the coachman just takes off. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Saul Rubinek kind of has a little look back. We see the coachman has disappeared. Mm-hmm. And then they go in and then the doors shut. The end. Mm-hmm. Now, anything you'd like to add that I kind of missed over in the story? Because I had to watch it twice to kind of catch more of the dialogue. But it's still kind of... I'm still kind of butchering up what they were really talking about in the beginning. No, I mean, it was a lot of talking. Again, watch these multiple times. It was like a one-act play or something. Yeah, no, watch it multiple times uh, because there's a lot of talking. A lot of, you learn a lot about the characters every single time. But, I mean, I think that's pretty much the basis of it. A lot of fans hate this one. Because they have to think. And then, (laughs) it's not even that, though. But the problem is, is that... You're thinking it's going to be like this anthology that these are all just kind of independent short stories. Mm -hmm. So one big argument that you see online is people saying that these are not connected at all. Another big argument is like saying, if I'd have to rank them, Buster Buster Scruggs was the best one. Uh, I told you everyone hated Meal Ticket and Mm -hmm. everyone hated this one. Right. Now, I'll admit that this last piece, as far as just entertainment value... It's probably kind of my least favorite one as far as just like the independent stories. Mm-hmm. You know, they are just in this stagecoach talking for a while. But when you figure out what's going on at the ending, it makes you look back and realize because the other big argument is everyone says that none of these are connected. I wish they were connected a little bit. It's well, at the ending, it's connecting all of it. Mm-hmm. And the, the Englishman says it right in front of you. He says, I like to look at your eyes while you figure it out before you pass away and before you pass over the the, the other side. Mm-hmm. We've yet to see anyone pass over to the other side, but we've seen everyone's eyes mm-hmm. figuring it out from Buster Scruggs at the beginning when he looks at his hat and realizes, like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. James Franco, when he locks eyes with the girls and realizes that's a pretty girl, mm-hmm. that's the last thing he sees when he kind of figures out, like, he admires her beauty. We have um, Meal Ticket. The, the look that we talked about forever and ever, and then uh, of when Liam Neeson's coming up mm-hmm. to throw him off the bridge. We have the look that Tom Waits has when he's the prospector in the hole, even though he doesn't die. Mm-hmm. Realize it's, it's a powerful moment realizing like, oh no, there's no way he's getting out of this. He's going to shoot me, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, um, although we don't see her before she does it, we see the panic in Alice's face, and then we see her eyes wide open that she shot herself in the head. Mm-hmm. Finally, here's the one where we don't see anyone die, but we're kind of shoved into this metaphor of like we're passing over to the other side. Like this is like the body's mm-hmm. going. So it kind of tied it all together that we just watched six stories set in like different Western themes using that genre, uh, the background, uh, the the different kind of scenery, uh, the different kind of setups, but we're just watching this six stories about death, right? essentially, and things that happen before you die. So question, kind of theories and thoughts. I kind of, this wagon was purgatory in my mind. Is that correct? Okay. I felt like it was purgatory. They're taking those three people to, and the the dead body, they're taking those three people where they need to kind of go. Yeah. Um, And because this was the only one where no one was killed. Because my theory was nobody was killed because they were already dead. They were already dead. Um, That is definitely a theory going on. Because what I love is Coen Brothers leave this out for interpretation. Mm -hmm. But the color, I brought up that the colors change. At one point Mm -hmm. there is light outside. But then as the trip keeps going on, it's dark outside. The trees look like skeleton bones. Mm -hmm. And yes, I think it's like this was their journey. This is finally when you're watching people pass over to the other side. Mm -hmm. Because it looks like. 
death and then the way yeah. the door shut it looks like they've crossed over they've left this world yeah especially given that they call themselves the reapers mm-hmm. and also the coachman doesn't even like talk or look at him and they had carried no luggage with them right another another theory was everyone was dead except for the lady and that she died when she choked right but why would she be on the carriage then well because the reapers um well the, the metaphor is that the other people were already dead and the reapers were here to carry him over to the other side so when she choked, then she transported into like this this vessel to get carried yeah. over. That's another theory as well. Like then her, she's entered into the dis- I don't know. I think overall it's just the Coen brothers have simply just given us a metaphor of passing over, and then he explains it all at the end. Even though I didn't like his acting the best, but mm-hmm. you know it's still on point. He, he's saying like you know we're here to help you cross over. It's like said right in front of us. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this is this is definitely a treat like that you have to watch more than yes. once for sure. Um, we've watched it a, a couple times. Um, if you're with us at this point in the podcast, I'm assuming you've seen it a couple times at this point. Yeah, you stuck with us this long. <laughs> <laughs> um, overall, as a whole, um, so how do you feel about this whole movie, this whole experience? You're asking for like a rating, like how many? We don't have to get into our rating yet. I'm just I kind of it? like wrapping it up. Is there any other thing as a whole? Because there's a lot of like devices that they use throughout this mm-hmm. whole piece. Like what is like your big things that stand out for you? I mean, as a whole, cinematography was fantastic. Sound design, like was it up for any of the sound design nope, awards, it, mixing it was, or anything? It was nominated for original song, um, adapted screenplay, and costume design. So yeah, just so three. it was a little a little robbed, I think. Um, and again, like I said before, it was robbed because there was a solid stack of movies up against it that were good. It, it could have used a couple more um, nominations. I think sound mixing, editing, whatever, some kind of sound design would have been really nice for this movie because, especially in Meal Ticket and Gold Canyon, the mixing, the like little sounds that you heard that were telling the story were phenomenal acting was great was fun Mm -hmm. definitely deserved that adapted screenplay nomination and you know when it's coen brothers uh the the script is like word for word how they wrote it down Mm -hmm. and i do not like westerns at all and i enjoyed all of these yeah i mean i don't watch a lot of westerns um i've seen some and i've enjoyed some westerns but uh yeah i just love how they took this genre told six really fascinating stories in, in their own Coen brother way. And mm-hmm. it was a really fun experience. Yeah. And I highly recommend seeing it more than once because mm-hmm. it's, it's a treat because you see it again. You just, it's like you discover more and more what's like the layers of just depth that of like clues, elements, like just parts of the story that you just kind of maybe missed the first time experiencing it. Mm-hmm. One more thing I want to talk about the movie too is I really love the flipping the story, like opening the book, and then yeah. flipping the pages, and then they the always art. like they they always have some kind of art shot from like the story, like some kind of like illustration mm-hmm. with like a key line or not even mm-hmm. a key line. I love it. I I like it. Yeah. I overall love this movie. I'm really happy it exists, and yeah, I can't wait to see what the Coen Brothers do next. Uh, before we move on, it's time to rate it. Can we do pan shots? Pan shots. Out of five pan shots, how many pan shots are you giving this? You always make me go first. Do you want me to go first? Yeah. I'll go first this time. So I'm going to give this five out of five pan shots. Oh. This is a knockout pan shot for me. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to give it pan, pan shot, shot, pan <laughs> shot, pan shot, pan shot, pan shot. 
Um, I'm also going to give it 10 sets of cowboy boots with wow. uh, spurs. I'm going to um, give it um, five bags of gold wow. from Telluride, Colorado. Ooh. And I'm going to give it um, just two bullets in case oh. uh, I get licked. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also two oxen. Got it. And um, I'm also going to give it, um, uh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to give it four pan shots. Pan shot, pan shot, pan shot, pan shot. Only four pan shots? I give it four only because I like that I can watch it again. I have time to watch it again. But if I didn't have time to watch it again, I'd be really annoyed because I wouldn't have had the chance to like... Really get into it. The fact that you have to watch a Coen Brothers movie sometimes twice to like really wrap your head around it is kind of inconvenient, but <laughs> it's still amazing. So I it gets four, which is a very high score, but it gets four pan shots because sometimes I don't have time to watch a movie twice. I just don't think you should knock it off a pan shot because it forces you to like, because it's got so much depth to it. Like, I mean, you re-listen to albums over and over, right? Yeah, but you can multitask during those things. My thing, like, respect my rating here. <laughs> I give it four pan shots because sometimes you don't have time to watch a movie again. So I think it's great. It's... I really enjoy it. I'm glad I had time to do it. But sometimes you don't. So we got four pan shots. Now, it also, you know, I give it, you know, ten chicken maths because... I enjoyed the the comedy of it. Lots of chicken math, just birds, birds, birds. Just throw all the birds at this because I think it's great and funny. Making more shit up. Uh, Give it, you know, 18 spurs because the cinematography was great. I know, but it sucks. The cinematography (laughs) makes you like, you got to watch it twice to really understand the cinematography. (laughs) I really enjoyed it. I think it's great, but I can't give it five pan shots. Four pan shots for me. Four pan shots for you. I give it five pan shots, uh, ten sets of cowboy boots with spurs, couple of oxen, uh, five bags of prospector's gold. I give it four owl eggs. I give it five owl eggs. Wow. So in your face. <laughs> Chickens can't count. Or birds can't count. How many presidents do you give it? If you were to <laughs> the rank 14th the president. president. <laughs> I really... I'm going to get fact-checked. Everyone's going to blow me up on Twitter over that. We're very popular with Um, almost 200 followers. So we both liked it, though. Can we agree? Oh, yeah. Okay. That was it. Do you got some trivia? Yeah, I do have a little trivia. So let's get into that. How do you like that trivia? So the poker hand that Buster Scruggs refuses to play in the saloon is famously known as the dead man's hand. It's a pair of uh, two black aces and eights. Why is it called a dead man's hand? As legend has it, that was the hand that Wild Bill Hickok held when he was shot in the back of the head and killed by the coward Jack McCall. Mm. So even though some regular poker people out there saw the hand, go, oh, aces and eights, that's good. That's the dead man's hand. So that's why I refuse to play it. So kind of a gem and trivia. Mm. This is the first Coen Brothers movie to be shot digitally. Ooh. It's also at a running time of 132 minutes. This is the longest film that the Coen brothers have ever directed. The image on the horse's backside on the back of the book is actually the logo for the Coen brothers production company, Mike Zoss Productions. In the final segment, Mortal Remains, 
the Englishman begins to tell the story of the Midnight Caller. In the Coen Brothers' 2010 western True Grit, Maddie also asks if they would like to hear a story called The Midnight Caller, but the story itself is never heard. So two references in two westerns by the Coen Brothers of the story The Midnight Caller. Do you think that means that we will get a story, The Midnight Caller, in the future from these gentlemen? For all I know, it's going to set up that The Midnight Caller is going to be the third Coen Brothers western in the distant future. Mm. That's all the trivia I got. So that's our trivia. Uh, This was a Western, so Mm -hmm. we kind of want to segue a little bit. We're going to kind of talk about some other Westerns out there. Yeah. Um, Both you and I are not well studied up on this genre. Not a fan. But what we want to do is just kind of do our kind of what's your top Western movie. Yeah. And then kind of talk about maybe what's your top cowboy. Okay. So what's your top Western movie? So... As I said, I'm not a huge Western fan, but... You can't pick Harry Potter. I do really love the movie City Slickers, and I think that counts. <laughs> I, I like that. No, that, that counts. Um, There's a cowboy in there. Like they, I mean, so Billy Crystal plays, yeah. you know, Mitch, who's it's his 39th birthday or 40th birthday or something, and he is going through a midlife crisis, and um, his friends are, like, also going through their own issues, so they all decide to go on a cattle drive. Uh, kind of like a Western vacation for a couple weeks. Uh, so they go on this trip. Some shenanigans are afoot. And it's just a great movie. I'm not going to spoil anything, but it's it's pretty classic. Gotcha. Well, so I like City Slickers. Um, it's been a while, mm-hmm. but I think that's a kind of a off-the-cuff, uh, kind of a different creative, very millennial of you to pick City Slickers for your Western. But I, 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 I appreciate it. I don't like westerns. I picked an actual western. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I, I agree. I, I do count City Slickers mm-hmm. as a western. I picked... Have you ever seen the movie Tombstone? I have. I picked Tombstone because it's got the best cast for mm-hmm. a western. Uh, definitely during that 90s era. It's very... Um, you always live in this era where you have Val Kilmer, Kurt Russell, Sam Elliott... And Bill Paxton, it's it's the best collection of four heroes come in to clean up the streets mm-hmm. and take over the town. They're the they're the sheriff now. It's part action, it's part drama, it's just part badass. Mm-hmm. And those men look like cowboys. Like they all you look couldn't like pick cowboys. four guys that look more like cowboys. I could taste the cowboy off Sam Elliott. <laughs> And it, Kurt that Russell's movie tasted mustache. Sweaty. That movie tasted sweaty. <laughs> uh, yeah, especially Doc Holliday. Yeah. Val Kilmer was amazing in it. Straight badass. Yeah. And it just screams 90s Western. Yeah. I have it on VHS. Awesome. Well, <laughs> maybe we should do Tombstone. Oh. Some, some show coming some, up. Someday. So you mentioned uh, we are also going to do our favorite cowboy. Yeah. Because obviously it's not a Western without a cowboy. Right. And Or cowgirl. I mean, I'm just going to tail end on your tombstone and just let you know that my cowboy is Doc Holliday. That was my pick Specifically Val Kilmer playing Doc Holliday. Um, I'm your huckleberry. <laughs> I got two guns, one for each of you. Yeah. Like, um, the best. 100%. Yeah. I picked him as well. Yeah. So. Some say John Wayne, but... Yeah, no, I picked Doc Holliday as well. Yeah. Um, the character was sly, vicious, mm-hmm. uh, full of comedic timing, but also he's like got this deep level of he's like yeah. kind of dying through yeah. most of this movie, but he's still kind of just badass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My honorable mention yeah. is going to be, you know, Dances with Wolves, because that was the first Western 
I ever saw as a child. Oh, okay, interesting. So, so that for your um, my honorable, honorable mention, mention for Western Western. <laughs> <laughs> interesting take on westerns that we have. Well, I mean, I guess Tombstone is a western, but you're over here, City Slickers, Dancing with well, Wolves. Well, because like you would, it is a western. Like, oh, but, the Searchers, oh, High Noon. But uh, like, we're not saying Unforgiven or right. <laughs> I know, we're not... I have some runner-ups for favorite cowboy as well, since okay. we both picked Doc Holliday. Uh, Butch Cassidy, played by Paul Newman, mm-hmm. for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched this when I was really young, and I don't know, there's something about it that was very entertaining to me, mm-hmm. and um, I, it's been a while since I saw it, but I just thought that was kind of just like a classic cowboy. Yeah. Has the wit, the charm, the action, he gets the girl... It's kind of everything that you want yeah. in a cowboy. Um, I also another honorable mention is from Blazing Saddles, uh, Gene Wilder as the sheriff. I don't is he considered he's a cowboy, correct? Yeah. Gene Wilder in Blazing Saddles is just an amazing cowboy. Right. And then my biggest honorable mention, and I'm really shocked you didn't say it, but um, Woody from Toy Story. You're my favorite deputy. I'm kind of mad at myself. I'm shocked because I thought like <laughs> I was just going to have to say like, yeah, I agree with Woody. Like just kind of yeah. one of my favorite cowboys that people don't even think about. Yeah. Moving up, moving along. Please move along. We're going to go into our top five list now. This top five is this Coen Brothers movie. So we're going nice. to kind of dissect what our top five Coen Brother movies are. Yeah. Well, it's not the bottom, it's the... Top five Coen Brother movies. So, Coen Brothers movies like have all the elements. Mm-hmm. We, we mentioned sound design, amazing cinematography, amazing script, writing, great cast of characters. Every single one of their movies just kind of has it all. And they're all a little different, but kind of all the same. Mm-hmm. They you all know like, that you're watching a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, they all have fun with uh, dialogue. They have fun with diction. They have fun with um, using plot devices, playing around with genres. Um, they just—it's always just kind of a fun experience. So this list was really fun to come up with, but also very tough. So why don't we just get into what's your number five? My number five is Burn After Reading. I love Burn After Reading, but that is not on my list. Okay. But I love it, though. It's great. I love the fact that at the end of it, nothing happened. It was nothing yeah, this whole time, and it's hilarious. Suggest, and they also suggest that this stuff kind of happens all the time. They're like, yeah. well, what do we do? Well, well all right. Yeah, well, just pay her off. Yeah. Wants, um, Francis McDormand just wants a like, nose operation. Yeah, they want plastic surgery. Plastic surgery, yeah. basically. It's just funny. And I love George Clooney. You think he's working on this top <laughs> secret government project but it's just like a bicycle with a dildo it's like a sex machine yeah i love it um that that did not make my top my top five list but like i said it's still a good one it's yeah it's really hard Mm -hmm. to come up with the top five because i'm leaving a lot off but this is my top five not what i think are like the best five films of theirs but what i love the most okay so i picked number five raising arizona Okay, that's on my list. It's on your list? Where did it fall on your list? That's number two on my list. It's number two on your list, yeah. and I got it number five. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's been a while for me to see Raisin Arizona, but it's a gem. It's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, I love Nicolas Cage, and it's, um, they deserve an Academy Award for Best Use of Nicolas Cage. Yeah. From the, the story of their romance to the misguided attempt to steal one of the was it six tuplets or quintuplets quintuplets so just steal one of them because we figured you already had enough 
You don't need that last one. Right. And then to the very end of him kind of like fantasizing over the American dream of like little Nathan is playing football. Wonder if he remembers me and he'll look up to me. Um, And the fact that they get away with it Mm -hmm. and also just like the kind of fun showdown with uh, the motorcycle. I don't know what the guy's name is. Bounty hunter. Just the bounty hunter, essentially the midnight rider. You have it number two, though. You have it a I little do. higher than me. I do. Uh, piggybacking off of, like, the, the love story was always really big for me because... Sorry, and the huggy scene, too. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You got a panty on your head. I, I, I need to just... <laughs> just in case I forget that, yeah. I was just... As a kid, I just lost my shit yes. when that happened. Yeah. Um, no, the love story... Um, is great you know they're from two different worlds and her coming out i'm barren hot i can't have any kids and she's just devastated and you know she's got a a moral dilemma of we'll try it his way and that's how she gets her baby and you know what five is too many five is too many kids so (laughs) we figured you wouldn't notice yeah (laughs) i mean um i'm all about this i love the ending the like the the epilogue at the end that has been redone in many other yes, movies. Yes. Um, Sorry. Also channeling. We figure you wouldn't notice. It's kind of Tom Waits logic for stealing the owl eggs too. Yeah. Uh, you can't <laughs> you count. Can't count. <laughs> that owl counted. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, John Goodman, I'll see anything that he's in anyway, which my list strongly suggests as well. Um, but he's fantastic in it. Um, it's just this weird duo and this weird story, and it was the first Coen Brothers movie I ever saw. Okay, fair enough. But it's number two, though. Yeah, I mean, okay. you know what number one is. Let's not play games. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, my number four on my list, uh, I picked Barden Fink. Okay. Um, I have a feeling that's not on your list. Haven't even seen it. Yeah, Barden Fink for me is, uh, it's just what we've always been preaching. It's the story of a writer that uh, has fame in, in theater, a kind of highbrow entertainment, but gets brought all the way over to Hollywood from New York, played by John Totoro, mm-hmm. to write a, the next big boxing picture. And he's got the most severe writer's block you could ever think, getting tied up with so many people from the Hollywood execs to his crazy neighbor, played by John Goodman, um, and essentially just kind of going insane while not even understanding how to write this script. And... There's no resolution at the end. Just a bunch of crazy experiences. The best sound design you'll ever see in a film. It's 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 a riot. And mm-hmm. it's it's a masterpiece for it's me. It's a laugh riot. Just blows you away every single time. It's just it's full of so much energy and it's just what am I watching and what did I experience? And it just leaves you thinking about the overall experience that you did of like this film. My number four was Oh Brother Where Art Thou. It did not make my list. I love it. I am a huge sucker for uh, adapted stories, taking classics and modernizing them in your own way. And also the most hipster thing about me is loving folk music. Yeah. (laughs) And that music kills it. Um, And George Clooney kills it. Um, But yeah, I mean, I loved the translation of um, The Odyssey into this world that they created and also Buster Scruggs is in the movie as well Tim Blake Nelson yep and also Stephen Root um my number three No Country for Old Men okay one then the best picture of course Mm -hmm. um stars Javier Bardem who won Mm -hmm. best supporting actor that year 
Josh Brolin. Mm-hmm. Did I already mention him? Tom, mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones. It's uh, it's an amazing movie. No score. Mm-hmm. Um, purely just sound effects, sound design. Um, Cormac McCarthy. It's a really good book as well. Mm-hmm. And it's a book that's definitely kind of like written like screaming, please make me into a screenplay. Right. And Coen Brothers executed it perfectly. I almost say it's borderline a Western as well. It's not, but it kind of takes place mm-hmm. in that kind of Western Texas feel. Yeah. I didn't put it on my list because I can't say that I watched it properly to be able to appreciate it. Okay. So it didn't make it. My number three was Fargo. That's your number three. Mm-hmm. My number two is Fargo. Cinematography-wise, I loved it. The comedy behind it, I really loved. Um, it was just the, the story and the accents and just it, it was so entertaining for me <laughs> to watch and listen to <laughs> i don't even know what else to say yeah i mean well it's just, this movie kind of put coen brothers on the map yeah. um as far as like the oscars and kind of mainstream appeal it's uh they of course lied you know like when they said it was based on a true story right but it's not and they don't <laughs> care because they're just going to throw that out there the the way the characters kind of feed off each other and the different storylines in this kind of it's a mystery that we know the answers but we're still engaged enough watching as William H Macy tries to kind of cover up his kidnap extortion of his um uh father-in-law goes wrong mm-hmm. slash you know Francis McDormand who is you know Marge she's pregnant Very as pregnant. well as trying to figure out the case as well as then we're cut with Steve Buscemi and the exchange of all of them and it's it's such an interesting story because we know all the answers there's right. nothing to discover just more of something to follow right and I like it, the pink sweatpants running through the snow the, it's just it's the imagery funny. is amazing with the the wood chipper to uh just the pregnant police officer on yeah. the side of the road checking out a murder oh, yeah. everything is so engaging and the language that they use and fun facts like it's word for word on the script like all the yas and the haze that uh william h macy delivers mm-hmm. like they, they put them all in there so like whenever you hear william h macy who's an amazing actor delivers it that's how it was written on the mm-hmm. page Sure. So it just exposes how detailed they really are when it comes to these movies and Fargo is just a home run. Mm-hmm. And it it is inspired three seasons of an amazing TV yeah. show in FX as well. Where Very different, though. Well, very different, but also kind of very much the same. Mm-hmm. And Coen Brothers are executive producers on that series as well. And the series is fantastic. So if you're out there going, well, that's just so lame. Like, Fargo's its own thing. What they masterfully have done is made similar Fargo style, but like three different kind of independent storylines that kind of follow along that mm-hmm. Fargo uh, form. All right. So I had Fargo at my number two. Okay. Your number two is Raising Arizona. Mm-hmm. Time for the obvious because we haven't said it yet. Our number one is... Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski. Yeah. It's, it's got the dude. It's yeah. got Walter. It's got... Fucking Donnie. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. It's got <laughs> uh, John Turturro playing the Jesus. It's mm-hmm. got... Uh, Julianne Moore. It's got, Maud, it's got. Uh, it's got. It's got Tara Reed. Tara Reed missing a toe, or is she? Philip Bunny. Seymour Hoffman just dominating. Uh, Rest in peace. Um, everything. Sorry if we forgot you. There's so much going on. Sam Elliott at the end as well. I forgot yes. about that. It's a movie that I was a little young when this came out. Like it, my dad was watching the living room, and I kind of snuck in a little bit to kind of catch some of it, but it's all just going over mm-hmm. my head. 
but as I got older, I aged with this movie and just the more like it's such a popular movie in college to just mm-hmm. always have on. Like someone always had this movie on. It's so rewatchable. It's so quotable. It. It's it created a whole style for people. It you know, it it's inspired like events. You it, know? Is, it inspired there's Lebowski Fest that happens every yeah. year. There's um, in, in Austin they have the Lebowski Bar and Grill. It's a bowling alley. There is. <laughs> I went to Iceland and there is a Lebowski bar in Iceland. It's world renowned. Um it's crazy quotable. Tara Lipinski did a big Lebowski ice skating routine once. Yeah, yeah. Like there's so much about it. It's amazing soundtrack as well. Yeah. Um, it's just great. Kenny, Kenny Rogers, Bob Dylan, like you watch it every I mean I probably watch it a couple times a year. I'll watch it yeah. any time that it's on TV. It's it's a it's it's a phenomenon. It's a lifestyle. It's it's a lifestyle. It's just uh, it's Jeffrey Lebowski, the dude, is just a character that we're just so lucky to have mm-hmm. in our lives. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's gonna wrap up our top five. Um, so our top five overall. Um, I got Raisin Arizona five, Barton Fink four, No Country for Old Men three, Fargo two, Big Lebowski one. I've got Burn After Reading 5, Oh Brother Where Art Thou 4, Fargo 3, Raising Arizona 2, and The Big Lebowski number 1. So we had um, three out of our five picks were involved, and we mm-hmm. both had our same number one. I think we both have the same style of yeah, yeah. Coen Brothers I that agree. we adore. you got to see Barton and Fink, though. you got to right. go do that. It's, it's fun to talk about Coen Brothers movies. Yeah. Ballad of Buster Scruggs is available on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, please go out and watch it. Yeah. And um, you can watch it in pieces. You could just like watch one <laughs> and then like go do something and then, then come back and watch another one. And then go watch The Office for a little bit on yeah. Netflix and then go yeah, back to it. Yeah, jump back and forth. Pick which one's your favorite. Um, go into our iTunes and tell us how many pan shots you give this movie. Um, but give us five stars so more people can find us. Five stars would be great. That'd be great. Tell us how many pan shots. Tell us what your favorite one is. Rank your own Coen Brothers. Rank your own Ballad of Buster Scrubs vignettes. Yeah, we would love to know what your favorite is. We'd love to know everything about you. Yeah, tell um, me all about yourself. Your top five Coen Brothers movies. Yeah. Your top your top cowboy, your top western. You get out there. You you let us know on Twitter. Yeah, follow us on Twitter. We'll give you shout outs on the next show. Ooh. Thank you all for listening. I'm Max. I'm Juliet. All right, till next time. Like film, that's what they all say. Great movies, it's the American way. I wish they had a show where they reviewed movies, which they do. It's called the Film and You Win Show. I like movies, big, big movies, big movies. It's floating pictures, it's so great. Movies, so join us, everybody, for the Film and You Win Show. Let's get some lunch.